Avi on Money, 12 to 1 p.m., only on 101.9 High FM. Welcome to 101.9 High FM. It's seven minutes past 12. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to be um, breaking the show into two parts today. The first part, I'm going to be answering a lot of questions that I've been getting over the last two weeks. Um, a lot of them have to do with investments and funds and fund choices. We're not going to look at f- um, specific funds. We're going to talk more generically because people are getting very muted growth or no growth at all. And there's a lot of not concern as to the future, but as to how to weather the storm that we're going through, because it just seems to be never ending. As we seem to be coming right and we get some growth, the next month it gets taken away. And then there's also one or two retirement questions that have come through that I've got from more than one person, especially older people. So we'll be dealing with that. And then later on, we're going to be speaking to Bianca Buertas from Peregrine. She's no stranger to the show. We're going to be talking about the GDP figures, the growth figures that are coming out today. And also we're going to be talking a little bit about the RAND. Um, Bianca is the currency specialist. Just where's the RAND? Where does the what's happening around the world. There's a lot of positivity coming out of the States. Um, the media is doing a huge amount of, let's call it negative um, publicity against the growth. We're not hearing about it. We're not seeing about it. It's almost as if we have to go looking for the information where it should be screaming at you because growth figures are up, unemployment figures are down, factory orders are up. Everything just seems positive, and there's a positive mood in America at the moment. And that's something that I'd like to discuss with Bianca. But what we're going to do now is we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to answer your questions. I'll be back with you in a moment. Avi on Money, 12 to 1 p.m., only on 101.9 High FM. Welcome back to 101.9 High FM. It's the exact 10 minutes past the hour of 12. Sorry about that, but I couldn't let the three seconds just put my time wrong let's answer some of your questions the overwhelming question that i'm beginning to go that i've been coming through to me um this is people emailing me people whatsapping me and also people stopping me and just saying like can we just quickly ask you so first of all for those of you who i did not give a clear answer to and where i was a little bit circumvent and uh, you maybe felt that i was fogging you off that was the last thing i was doing is that i cannot give advice under the license that financial planners have just by standing and chatting to you. I can talk generally. I can tell you what's going on. But when you ask me more specifically that I've got this investment with this broker, with this amount of money in this fund, what do I think? It's it's really not fair on you and it's certainly not fair on me to for me to be able to give you a, an answer about that. The other thing that I do get a lot is that, you know, my broker so-and-so, but, well, wh- why are you coming to tell me if if you're not entirely happy with the service that you're getting, do yourself a favor, pick up the phone, call your broker or your agent or your financial planner, whatever you want to call the individual, and say to him or her, listen, I haven't you know, got together with you for a while. Is it possible to make some time? And you might say to him, but hold on, shouldn't it be the other way around? And my answer to you is, well, whose money is it? So your retort can be, well, who's making the commission? Well, the commission is a factor of the money that's being invested. And yes, you have to earn that money. But at the end of the day, it is your money. So if you feel the person is competent and they would like to stay with them, then 
maybe it's a partnership and you need to pick up the phone and say, listen, I'd like to meet with you. And in that meeting, say, listen, I haven't seen you for two years. I understand that there was nothing to do. I've only got this investment with you and there's no point in changing. But could you be in touch with me a little more often or could you put me on your mailing list or could you let me know what's going on? And then another thing in that meeting, set the next meeting, you know, Open up your, your browser on your, e- on your email, look on your phone, look at the dates, make sure it doesn't coincide with a Jewish holiday or a public holiday, and put in the date in six months' time. What's the worst that can happen? You call a week before or a day before, hopefully not a day before, and say, listen, I can't make it, or they should call you to confirm. At least you then got a report, but it's in the diary. Yes, it might be unforeseen. I mean, it might be so far that you almost can't relate it because six months away is a long time in, you know, when it comes to planning forward for these type of things. But diarize it. At least when the time comes, there is a time. It can be adjusted. It can be manipulated. It can be moved. At least you've got something in the diary. So, to get to the nuts and the bolts of what I've been asked is a lot of retired people have said to me, you know, I had money, I put it away in a retirement vehicle that came from a retirement annuity or a pension or provident fund. So we're talking about what the market calls a living annuity. And a living annuity by its design is an extension of a retirement annuity and a pension and provident fund. Um, and what that means is once the money's in that fund, it doesn't atta- attract any tax. So there's no capital gains tax or anything like that, so long as the money is in that fund, is in that wrapper. But what's important to appreciate is that once you pull money out, it then triggers an income tax. But once it's in the fund, it doesn't uh, trigger tax. So what's important is that if you want to change funds, so let's say, for example, you started this fund a while ago and you were very gung-ho, The you know, you just felt that you just want to be as aggressive you can, and you can, and against better advice, you went 100% into equities. And equities run, ran. They did very well. They've come off a bit, but if you look at it and you play with the calculator on some websites, you'll see what your capital gains tax is. You say, ooh, if I move this fund, I'm going to pay capital gains. No, you will not pay capital gains in a living annuity wrapper. It's tax-free. So if you can move funds, you can change funds. You don't have to worry about how much profit you've made. That's irrelevant so long as it's in the fund. But the other rule of the fund is that you have to take out an income between 25 and 17.5% annually, and that's what the current legislation is. And you need to take an income. You can reinvest it. Yes, a lot of people say, well, can't I put it back in? No. It's a one-way street. When it goes out... It doesn't go back in. But you can open a unit trust and you can open a Citrix account and, I don't know, you can pull up a money market account and go and buy property, but you can't put it back into that investment. But you can mimic it. You can have a flexible investment or a unit trust with exactly the same funds. Yes, there's different tax rules, but you can get the same growth. Obviously, the one you will pay tax in the unit trust and the other one you won't. But the income needs to come out. The question that people are really asking me is that I cannot get growth out of my living annuity. No matter what I do, it just stays where it is. And let's be clear here. They're not talking where they are drawing a monthly amount that is above, let's say, 5%. If you're drawing an annual amount paid monthly above 5%, 
in this type of market, you're wiping out all the profits and all the gains that you make. If you're taking 7.5%, there's a very good chance you might be going backwards. If you're taking anything above that, you certainly are going back, go backwards, unless you've had some really um, clever fund choices and they've all come as your stars have aligned at the right time, so to speak. It's unlikely that you're going to get returns. So what do you do? The, the, your your problem is compounded by the fact that not only are you in an investment that might not be doing well, you're in an investment where you're drawing out your potential profits. So if I said to you, if you had a 100,000 rand and you were going to make a 5% return and then you were going to pull out 5% income every year, whether you take it monthly or annually is not really the issue. The question that the bottom line is that you're going nowhere. The truth is you might very well be going backwards if you're getting a 5% return and you're getting, taking a 5% drawdown simply because there will be other costs that will come into play. And if you're saying, well, you know, it's 5% all in, including costs, be that as it may, it's very unlikely that um, the one's going to match off the other. Also, what you're going to have is you're going to have positive and negative periods or positive and negative months. If you take a drawdown monthly from a negative month, you're taking from a lower capital base. If you take it from a good month, you're drawing it from a higher capital base. So, yes, it should rank cost average. It should sort itself out over the year. But that's the dilemma that you are now. So where do you go? And again, one has to be very careful not to give advice, but let me break down the asset classes for you. You've got four basic choices, and we're coming up to a break, so um, I'll try to get through one or two of them before the break, and then we'll do the two thereafter. The first one is cash, a money market account. You are not going to get a rate on a money market account in a living annuity that you will get from a fixed deposit at a bespoke bank. So if you went to a private banking suite in a bank, be it Standard Bank, Ned Bank, FNB, or a more bespoke bank like Bidvest or Sassfin, you could get a better rate, maybe two or three percentage points higher than you'll get in a money market because you're putting it away for a fixed period. That's a fixed deposit for anywhere between six to 12 months, if not longer. But the bottom line is there you're getting a return even if you're putting it into money market that's not as good as elsewhere, where you've got very little risk, in fact, technically no risk on the money, so the capital is not going to depreciate. You're getting paid your interest. The interest is compounding on an ongoing basis, and you can almost project what it's going to be because the rate is set. Yes, it will change if the repo rate from the, from the Reserve Bank changes, but otherwise it's basically set. So you've got peace of mind knowing what's coming in. What you don't have is an ability to beat inflation, though, over time, because interest rates historically over the last five years and maybe even longer in South Africa have not beaten the inflation. So therefore, yes, your money might be growing, but the real real buying power has not grown. So therefore, your 100,000 gone to 110,000, but its buying power is still the same 100,000 that it was last year. So that's the one asset class. We're out of time. Let me take a quick break. I'll be back with you in a moment. Avi on Money, 12 to 1 p.m., only on 101.9. Hi, FM.
Welcome back to 101.9 High FM. Before I get back to the other asset classes of living annuities that we were talking about in a moment, right, before we go to Bianca, who's coming on the line, hopefully, in the next eight minutes, we've spoken about cash as an asset class. I'm now going to go to the other extreme, and that's equities. Because in a living annuity, you're not limited by the tax act as to what funds you can choose. So the other extreme is equities. What does that mean? That means that a fund manager... And again, we had Coronation, Discovery, Momentum, Alan Gray, um, um, Peregrine, whoever it is, is going directly to the stock exchange, uh, picking a bundle of of stocks within the mandate that they've been given, and they're going to form this equity fund for you. The beauty about it is, yes, equities should and have outperformed any other asset class over time. But what we're finding now is that it's a very, very bumpy and even lumpy ride. Let me explain the difference between bumpy and lumpy. It might sound like I'm, I'm talking about a cake mixture. But the difference is that bumpy is what we call volatile. In other words, one month up, one month up, maybe two months down, six months up, a little bit down. In other words, it's, it's not a constant return. So if you're getting 12% a year, it doesn't mean you're getting 1% a month. Could be getting two in the one month, one and a half of them in the, in the in the next month, and then minus three the following. But over a rolling cycle, you're getting twelve. That's bumpy. Lumpy means that we're not getting twelve percent a year. It means that over a five-year period, this fund has returned X, whatever that is. And it hasn't come by dividing it by five. It's come in spurts. So in other words, there were spurts of phenomenal growth in the fund, and there were times when nothing really happened. And a lot of the top, top fund managers overseas have had that type of record where you get lumpy returns. In other words, nothing happens, and then boom, all of a sudden it does happen. But you'll get both. Um, you will certainly get bumpy, the former, in an equity uh, portfolio. The, the, you know, just to, to address the question which I can see is coming through on the SMS line is, which is the best equity portfolio? There was an, a very um, interesting paper put out by Momentum Wealth about last year, towards the end of last year, where they took a whole lot of funds that happened to be balanced funds. I think there were five or six. Each one was given a different color. And then they were stacked on top of each other according to performance. So the best performing in a particular year was on the top and the worst was at the bottom. And then you see the progression year by year by year by year. And what they did is they took, let's say, um, Alan Gray was blue. They linked it with a blue line from one year to the next. And what you saw was a phenomenal outcome that no one unit trust fund, no one equity fund or balance fund in this case, sat on the top, was the king of the castle, so to speak, for more than a year or two. In fact, what you often had was sterling outperformance followed by quiet, stagnant underperformance. And that's what you saw. So if you said which was the best one, it was almost impossible to see because everybody was on this rockety, um, was on, on this very bumpy road going up and down in their performance. And that is the nature of equities where you're going to have outperformance over the long period. Now I'm talking five years plus, but in the short time, you are going to have tremendous volatility. And that's the difference between um, tolerance for risk and appetite for risk comes in you know the, the the simple example there is is a child you know a child has an appetite for a pizza 
and they want this pizza with this coppings and this side, and they don't want the small, they want the medium effect, they could get the large, they would get that also, and they're all gung-ho, and this thing arrives, and you can see the look in the eye like, whoa, how am I going to get through this? And after the third slice, the child's green. Because they really want to show you that they can eat this whole thing. But one more bite and there's going to be pizza all over the show. And that's the difference between appetite and tolerance. We all feel that we have an appetite for risk. Yes, we can take risk. And if we don't take risk, we won't get the gains. And if we aren't, if we don't absorb, um, um, if we don't embrace, <coughs> excuse me, a little bit of risk, we're never going to get the returns over long term. And then you go ahead and you do it. And then your statements start arriving. Let's say quarterly. And you look at it, and then you look at the next one, and you think, hold on, wasn't that what it said last time? And then you forget about it, and then the third one arrives, and then the fourth one. And then one afternoon, you sit down, and you put them all next to each other, and you look at them. Or you go online, and you look, and you call your financial planner in an absolute two-stunt, because you say, what on earth is going on here? You're drawing a commission every month. The company's getting paid every month. The fund manager's getting paid every month. And Kippy over here is paying it, and my money's gone backwards. Who's the idiot in the process? And that's exactly what one would expect from a more aggressive portfolio. And that's where you show yourself. It's your tolerance doesn't match your appetite. Because if it did, you'd say, well, that's what's going to happen. And the more volatile it is, the more bumpy it is, I know I'm in the right place, and eventually it will come right. And sometimes it's a really a, a scenario of fuss bait. You just got to sit tight and wait for this thing to come right. And yes, there are so many factors that start coming in um, to, to impact on this thing that it makes your head spin from something that a politician says over here locally to the Italian government being um, reconstituted to a, a potential war with North Korea, which turned out to be a peace treaty, then um, rockets coming from Gaza to Israel, how that affects prices makes the mind boggle because there's instability in the Middle East, hardly. But regardless of that, all these things impact. So now you think, well, okay, we're on this trajectory, we're doing well, and all of a sudden things go wobbly, you want to know why. But if you haven't got the tolerance for the risk, then don't be in equities. So we discussed cash, we discussed equities, and what we're going to do then is we're going to look at the two in between. But I've spoken myself out of time. On, on the line is Bianca Burtis. Um, so she's going to be coming on in a few minutes. So maybe what we should do is um, we're going to pay one or two ads or, and then we will go on to it. But before we do that, let me just let you know that once again, the Bedford Maccabi Fun Run is coming to Joburg on the 17th of June, 2018 at Huddle Park. So come out and enjoy a fun day out with the family and friends. The distances include the one-kilometer kiddies dash and the five-kilometer run or walk. Earn 300 vitality points. That's quite a lot. You usually get 100. Limited goodie bags for the first 600 sign-ups. Music, kid entertainments, food and drink available. Entry to entries are 180 rand and 90 rand for kids under 12. All proceeds go to, to the participating Jewish charities organization of your choice. So you actually get to choose where it goes. So see you there, or you can visit Maccabi, that's M-A-C-C-A-B-I dot C-O dot Z-A. But without further ado, it gives me great pleasure to welcome Bianca Burtis online. Bianca, welcome to Chai FM. 
Good afternoon, Abby. How are you? Good, thank you. I'm always like looking for you across the table, but you're not there. <laughs> Unfortunately, not this time around. Fantastic. Bianca, before we get on to your speciality, which is the RAND, um, today GDP figures came out, things are happening. Maybe just give us an aerial view of what is going on um, from your point of view and from your company's point of view. It's really not been the best start to the year for GDP figures in terms of South Africa. Um, we actually saw the GDP figures contract 2.2% quarter on quarter versus market expectation of half of the thing. And one of the biggest contributors to this contraction in economic growth has been the agricultural sector, losing close to 24%. Why did it do that? You know, I think there's a lot of reasons that you can argue as to why the agri-sector did what it did. Um, but if you go look at its peers or its followers, for instance, being the mining industry as well as manufacturing, those have both declined as well. I think one of the first things that we need to look at is the structural environment of, of all three of these sectors, and especially what has been happening in the labor market in these three sectors. Which all impacts, and I'm sure in the agri-sector, the drought didn't help at all. Um, it, it also, we know there's a lag. So the fact that the, 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 the figures are not good now doesn't mean they're going to be any better going forward because we've got a lot of catch-up to play. Absolutely. So even though the sentiment is still positive for stronger economic growth leading um, into the rest of 2018, um, this is really a slow start, especially given that market expected a contraction, but not this bigger contraction. One thing we do have is we have, I wouldn't say maybe positive, but we don't have negative sentiment. Am I right there? There's definitely not negative sentiment. I think that sentiment in South Africa has turned um, about 180 degrees since the asking of Zuma. However, what we haven't seen is that sentiment really translating into real economic growth and sustainability. So it's one thing saying that, yes, we as a population are feeling more positive. It's another thing actually getting us to spend our money locally and also contribute to um, manufacturing goods within the borders of South Africa. You know, having said that, there's there's a factor that's that, I, I mean, we, we often hear statements like that, you know, we need to loosen the purse strings, we need to get people to start spending but there's another dynamic. If you take the Gini coefficient into a con- consideration, that's talking about the higher LSMs. The lower LSMs, people are desperate to spend money because they need to spend what they've got in order to survive. The problem is that if fuel goes up, the cost to get to spend that money also goes up, which means the little disposable income they have goes down. And I think that also has a direct impact. That definitely has a direct impact. Um, you know, the moment it starts costing you more to actually get to work, the, as you just rightly pointed out, the fewer money you have left to spend at the end of the day. Um, also, looking at the lower LSM of the market, um, specifically drawing your attention to the decline in fixed capital formation. You know, this is where the non-tertiary educated um, population members tend to be employed. Um, mining and manufacturing and then obviously the fixed capital formation, which is mostly your construction industry, has all seen a decline. And unfortunately, if there's a decline in these industries, that means um, a a loss of jobs um, in, in the short to medium term.
Um, you know, without harping on that, I, d- I did speak to a platinum mining house this week. It was a very interesting conversation. And what came out from there is that they looked across the table at me with these smiles and said, our industry is really under pressure. And I almost thought, like, are you guys drunk? You're sitting there with funny smiles on your face, and you're telling me bleak news, but yet you're all quite happy. And they noticed my sort of resist, like my hesitance as to, I'm not quite sure what you guys are saying. And what they then they went on to explain is, yes, it's cyclical. We're in the cycle. We are now spending capex. Um, we are looking at cutting ourselves as lean as possible. So that when the cycle turns, we are ready and we can ride that wave. And I found that very, very positive because ultimately, ultimately, you can't fight the cycle. But what you can do is take advantage of it when it's there. Absolutely. Great. Bianca, let's get on to the RAND. The RAND, I don't know. I'm not quite sure where it's going. I hope you know where it's going. <laughs> Look, the RAND is not very impressed with the with the contraction in GDP figures. Um, we've seen it lose close to 1% against the greenback since the data was released. Um, currently, we're trading in the high 1260s. Um, 12.69 to be precise. It has briefly touched on 12.70, um, but still below the 12.73 key level, which will indicate a next leg weaker. So it's still range bound. We've been sitting here for about two, three weeks now, 12.50 to the 12.70s, irrespective of local fundamentals, irrespective of geopolitics. Every single move we see, we've seen has been in this range, and there's not a lot of momentum driving it to break either side. What is the true intrinsic value at the RAND? Where do you guys peg it at the moment? Currently, we value it closer to about 13 Rand a dollar. Okay, so we're sitting at a discount at the moment. Yes, we're sitting at a discount. I think anything between 1250, 1285 is sustainable and realistic. The moment we start moving below the 1250s like we've seen earlier last week, that's really an overreaction in the market and cannot be seen as sustainable. So when these dips do happen, um, I would advise people to really take advantage of that. On the other hand, it is a positive thing. The weaker the rand, the better is for our commodity exports. The better is the commodity exports, but then again, you also need to look at what we are importing. And unfortunately, oil forms quite a big chunk of that. And as we've just discussed, the rise in fuel prices has really added pressure to the consumer, especially to your low-income um, low class. Bianca, I don't like to do this to you, but if you don't mind, I am going to cut the interview short simply because the line is not clear. And I'm used to you in, in studio where it's just, I can, we can sit and listen to you for a long period of time. But I think we touched on it, and I just want to thank you for coming on, even though it was for only for seven minutes. No problem. Thank you, Abby. Have a good afternoon. Thank you so much. I'm really, really upset to do that. The line is not great. Craig's been playing with dials and figure and, and, and buttons just to try to get it clear. But uh, that was Bianca Buertas from Peregrine, really an expert when it comes to these things and um, really on top of the currency exchanges. So what I'll do now, um, we were meant to speak to you for a little bit longer, is let me finish off the discussion, the questions we had about living annuities, and then um, next week we'll pick up with our interview, which I'll let you know about a little bit later. We discussed cash or near cash, which very simply means we're getting a fixed rate, 
We know what we're getting. There's almost no volatility. There's um, very little chance of you losing any capital. In fact, you're just getting this compounding effect going forward. And when the market's all over the place, that's not a bad place to be, especially in a living annuity, especially because it has no tax consequence. So you get a steady return. You know what you're getting. And at least you don't have to worry about market volatility. On the other extreme, we've got equities where... That is a full-on bucking bronco. It is what it is. You get on. You hold on very, very tight. But you've got to go for the ride. If you get off every time this thing goes down or sideways, all you're going to make sure you do is you lock in your loss and you're really going to see your proverbial backside. You've just got to stick with it and get out. Then we've got two categories in between. There are myriads of multi, of, of smaller categories. We're just talking about the four majors. So conservative, we did was cash. Um, aggressive is equities. And then we've got moderate and, you know, and, and, aggress- and uh, moderate aggressive in the middle. We, here we're going to talk about things called balance funds. Balance funds are a generic term that most investment houses have. You'll find them at all the big houses. Some of them use the word balance. Other of them don't. Other use medium equity, low equity, depending on the type of fund that it is. But really what it is, it is as the name describes. It's a balance of different sectors of the market coming into a fund. So you will definitely have equities. You will have a bit of gilts, a bit of bonds, a bit of cash. And all that comes comes in to give you maybe not as an aggressive growth as equities, but certainly a lot less bumpy, a lot less volatile, or so it's designed to do, and give you more steady growth over the period. So equity funds should outperform a balanced fund over period, but the balanced fund ride will be a lot less bumpy and all over the show well we've um, up against time again let's take a quick break I'll be back with you in a moment Avi on money 12 to 1pm only on 101.9 Chai FM welcome back to 101.9 Chai FM it's 20 to 1 Um, we are talking um, and we're actually answering questions about investing in living annuities and I have gone on on to a, a little bit of detail about the different funds, um, choices that you can, that you can get. We spoke about, um, cash. We spoke about equity. We spoke about a balance fund. What you could also do there is having something called a low equity balance fund or a conservative balance fund or a moderate balance fund. And really what that means is that the fund manager is trying to do two things. Number one, take out more volatility. So the thing doesn't bounce around so much. Number one. And number two, give you growth even when the market is slightly down because they're using other vehicles within the fund to generate growth. So yes, by logic, the logical deduction, you won't get the growth in a conservative or moderate balance fund that you'll get from a standard balance fund over a period of time, but your tolerance for risk will be less tested than it will in another fund. So when that pizza arrives that we spoke about earlier, it is often a lot smaller. It often is a lot le- less rich. It has less toppings on it. It's a lot easier to eat. And yes, you might not be entirely full, but at least you're not going to be sick. I think it's a bit of a strange analogy, but I think it illustrates it um, quite nicely. The other way of illustrating it is this I've used um, over the years is I often ask a person, what car do you drive? And then say the business is a Toyota Corolla. 
And then you pray they know the answer to the next question because the question would be, what size engine have you got? And most people say, oh, it's a 1.3, it's a 1.6, a 1.8. And I say, right, that's exactly what I wanted to illustrate. The Toyota Corolla is the fun. So it is your living annuity, your retirement annuity, your endowment, your unit trust, whatever it is. The engine is the fund. What engine are we going to put into your fund? So if you've got, in this example, a unit trust that you're looking to save for your child's high school education, your child is one years old, you'll say, no, 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 no. I want to be as aggressive as I can. I've got 12, 13 years in or 11, 12 years in this thing. I really, you know, time will mitigate the risk. I want to be as aggressive as I possibly can. Then you're going to have a 1.8 Corolla with a turbo charge. What simply means is that the drive is going to be thrilling. But the chances of a bumper bashing or maybe coming off the tire of the road or bursting a tire or two is probable. It's likely that's going to happen. But it will be a thrilling ride. Are you prepared to do that, sir? Are you prepared to invest, let's say, a thousand rand a month at the end of year one instead of having a balance of 12,000, having a balance of 10,800? Are you going to have the tolerance? Or do you only have the appetite? But if you don't have the tolerance, then rather come down a little bit. Let's look at balance funds or even maybe let's look at low equity funds. Let's look at funds like Investic Opportunity Fund, which is not going to shoot the lights out ever because that's not what it's designed to do. But it should give me inflation beating returns, not by five or six, but maybe one or two. And in time, it will give me the returns that I'm looking for if my expectations are realistic. And... I won't have to have sleepers nights because, you know, it's worth less than I put it in by a dramatic margin. There's a very good chance it will be worth less than what you've put in in the beginning period. But that's just the tolerance that one has to have and to understand. How do you know what your tolerance is? Well, you can be honest with yourself and try and see and see how you feel when your statements come. But then you need to be responsible for the decision that you've taken. I wanted to be aggressive. And yes, I'm signing that I wanted to be aggressive. And when I decide that I'm a little bit tired of getting bruised, then I will decide that I want to get out the ring and I want to be a spectator rather than an athlete. And I'm going to water, I'm going to bring my risk um, exposure down from equity to balanced or even further down. So that you can do at any given time. But it's really a case of being aware of where you're being invested and how that is going to impact the short, the medium and the long term. So to answer the questions, if you are in a living annuity, it means you're already pulling out money. It means you now need to start looking at this thing slightly differently because what you're looking to do in a living annuity is to preserve as opposed to grow. Grow would be nice. If we could do that, all the better. But what we want to make sure is that after we've pulled out money, we've got a real return in our fund. And what does a real return mean? A real return means that after we've taken our income, We've grown that fund by inflation. So let's say inflation is 6% and you put in a 100,000 rand and you get a return of 10%. Your money will be sitting at 110,000. But inflation is 6. So that's 100, that's 6,000. You only have 4% to take out. If you take out more than 4%, 
you are now going backwards in real terms. Because even though it's worth more money than it was when it started, the buying power has corroded. And therefore, you need to keep growing that fund in order for it to give you a real ability to purchase going forward. And is it's very, very, very difficult. The, the two things that one should always try to do is first and foremost, know what amount you're taking out. Know what percentage you want to draw. You can't draw less than 2.5%. But by the way, I got a lot of questions saying that I've kept my percentage, but my amount has changed. It will change because it's a fixed percentage. What you can do, though, is you can ask the company that you're with to fix the amount in rands. So let's say you were getting two um two twenty five thousand rand no uh, two thousand five hundred rand a year um out of this fund, but one year you've got three thousand one year you've got two thousand four hundred you can ask them to peg it at two and a half thousand rand, so you know exactly what you're getting and all the people who really really rely on this money. Understand that when that anniversary comes around and you haven't pegged the amount, you've only pegged the percentage and the capital is slightly lower, you're stuck with that income for the next year. You can jump, you can scream, you can perform, you can threaten, you can sue. Not going to change. The rules are the rules. That amount is set for the next year. So please, just be aware of that and just get um, a, a fixed amount. So let's say your percentage is giving you 6,500 rand. Two, three months before, Call the company, call your financial consultant and say, please, I don't want market volatility to affect my income. Please peg it at six and a half thousand rand. And you'll be told, well, yeah, the percentage has gone from 6.5% to 6.82%. And your answer will be fine because that's what I need. And therefore, I understand the impact. And that's the way it works uh, with a living annuity. It is a, a really, really simple product if you understand the mechanics of it. And it can be very, very daunting if you sort of try to navigate it on your own. And once again, um, the industry is getting more and more sophisticated. The requirements for financial planners are getting more and more stringent. The onus is getting more and more intense. And therefore, hold your financial planner responsible by calling and going to see them if they're not contacting you. Because the chances are that they actually do have the finger on the pulse. The chances are that they actually do know what's going on. But there's not much that they can do. But if you don't sit down and you don't talk and you don't bring these things out in the open, all that happens is that you build up a sense of resentment, but it doesn't change the investment. All it does, it gives everything a negative taste. So rather sit and discuss it up front so that you know where you're going. So that was Living Annuities. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, somebody wants to know about something called income continuation. Somebody wants to know about um, income protection. It's all one and the same thing. I'll discuss with, they, with you in a moment. Avi on Money, 12 to 1 p.m., only on 101.9. I Welcome back to 101.9. Hi, FM. I've literally got two minutes to, to discuss this topic, but I will get back to it to one of those, uh, another one of those open sessions that we're going to have from time to time. The question that's come in is, what is income continuation? What is income replacement? How does it work? What's it all about? I cannot explain it to you, to you in two minutes, and I can't give you all the parameters. But let's talk generically what it is. First of all, it is a phenomenal benefit that nobody – 
whether you're self-employed or you work for a corporate or you work for a listed company or you walk for the corner cafe and you're earning a consistent income that you rely on should be without. What this benefit does is this benefit will replace your income either on a temporary basis or, God forbid, on a permanent basis should you be injured, should you be unable to work, should you be booked off. And no, you don't need to be totally and permanently disabled. That is the point of the benefit, is that you can claim on a temporary basis. So you, God forbid, have a car accident. You are been, you have been booked off for, it's severe, for six months. You go look at your policy. You've got a one-month waiting period. So your company will pay you for the month because that's what they are obliged to do. And then you can claim from your insurance company for the next five months. Therefore, your family has an income, the cash continues to flow, and you don't have a problem with not being able to work or not being able to convalesce even worse to get better in order to go back to work. The The questions that, that, that I've heard a lot over the last two weeks is, I have been declined for income continuation or income replacement because of my occupation. Yes, if you are a hairdresser, if you are an artist, if you are a butcher, anything where the risk of injuring yourself is greater. If you are a pilot, now what risk is there in being a pilot? I don't know, maybe you can stub your toe in the dark corridor or I don't know, bump your head on a overhead switch. That's not the issue. The issue is that the slightest impediment will render you unable to fly, especially a commercial airline. So a sprained arm or an upset stomach might say that you might be booked off. And therefore, those people are not usually given the cover that is given at the normal companies that, that one can go to. They're talking about the liberties and the momentums and the, uh, the, the sunlums and the discoveries of the world. But don't panic. There is a company. Um, it's a company down in Cape Town. I'm not going to mention the name on air. If you want to know, please let me know. All I can tell you is I've got friends who are also clients who are artists who have claimed from this company and they are superb. So if you are a dancer, an actor, an artist, a hairdresser, um, or anything like that where you are battling to get income continuation, there is a solution and it's a solid solution. Um, so please be in touch with me. You can email me on my Chai FM um, email or on my discovery email or you can get a hold of me through the studio and I will then put you in touch with this place and you can go and chat to them. But that's really what it's all about. Income continuation is making sure that if you're unable to work for a period of time, you get your income. And if, God forbid, you are mangled and you can never work again, you will have an income up until a particular age. There are four factors that I just want to point out, and we're really up against time, that are crucial when looking at income continuation. The first one is the quantum. Make sure the amount is right, please, guys. How many people do I have seen who earn 100,000 rand who haven't updated it since they start their articles and they were earning 15? Come on. You've got it, but what's it going to be? It might pay your, I don't know, your rates and taxes. Just get that, get, get that up to date. Get the amount correct. Number two, get the, make sure there's an increase on that payout every year. So many times I see that the amount is correct, but there's no increase. Yes, it's cheaper. It's a cheaper premium, but God would you have to came for the rest of your life. 
you know, within two or three years, you're going backwards at a tremendous rate. Make sure you've got at least an inflationary increase there. The next thing is the expiry age. At what age does it expire? The younger you are, the obviously the earlier you can make it, either 60, 65 or 70. And some companies even give you a whole of life. The earlier it is, the cheaper it is. So yes, if, if, if premium is a real factor, then yes, you can look at an earlier retirement age, but not if you are 48. Don't make it 60 because then what's the point? You know, I understand that it's expensive, but you need to have it a little bit later. And the last thing that's important is the waiting period. I have seen disasters. Over here. And a particular case with a professional who called his partners into the boardroom and they almost mockingly told me, we've got enough cash flow in this business. I want a six-month waiting period on my income continuation. I said, okay, as long as you're happy to sign for it and that's a decision you've made. He then went and hurt himself, called me up after three months and said to me, you are absolutely right. The way I feel as a parasite, even though I'm a senior partner, Drawing a salary, doing absolutely no work, not a being able to contribute, getting under people's feet is absolutely demoralizing. And within a couple of hours, the quote was done and that six-month waiting period came down to one month. And, you know, that is reasonable. A professional, if you're self-employed, if you're a doctor, a lawyer um, or something like that, then you can have a seven-day waiting period, which means that after seven days you can start to claim. And on those um, plans, often it's retroactive. So they will pay you for, from one, ma- one month one. On the one-month waiting period, most companies, as far as I'm aware, will not make it retroactive. So after you've waited your month and you claim for another couple of months, no, they won't pay you for the month that you had to wait. Um, last thing I just want to ask is a question, has, answer a question that's just come through. Will your income continuation pay if you have passed away? Now, it sounds like a ridiculous question, but what happens if somebody was ill? They were ill for six months and then they passed away, but they never really claimed properly because information was needed or they were just too ill to get around to it. The, the, the claim was lodged, but information was missing or never got processed correctly. Yes, I have seen cases where income continuation has been, pays, been paid after the person has passed away. Who it pays to is another decision, another discussion, but it can be paid. Well, thanks for listening, Craig. Thanks for pushing the buttons and keeping me in line. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll speak to you next week.